And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined by the same cast of characters. Although we are increasing the cast for this particular podcast. Ryan Barath, Gene Prenti, Chris McCormick. The whole crew, the whole new crew is here. Boys, how are we doing? The whole new crew. I like it. It's doing funny well, that you doing well. It's funny that you say that because I I got a couple of messages once we announced that Ryan was going to be joining golf.com and people said oh, what are we doing with with this with the crew because a lot of people I will say really said that the flow we were starting to get the flow Chris and Gene myself so nobody wanted to mess with the crew but I like the idea of adding another voice I'm I'm hoping praying that we don't talk over each other so that'll be interesting, but I'm, I'm all about, I'm kind of like one of the guys that we're going to talk about. I'm a lot like Phil Mickelson. I'm just going to try stuff, see if it works out. Maybe the, maybe the Frankenwood works, maybe four works. Who knows? We're going to give it a shot. We're like, we're like a geeky white guy, the view, you know, for golf equipment. So, you know, Hey, whatever works. <laughs> I don't even want to know which one I would be. <laughs> I'm whoopee, uh, definitely whoopee. I'm just staking my claim there, you know. So, all right, you guys, you guys, you guys can have the table scraps after that. I'm done. Nobody's going to fight you for that. <laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> so we don't have a lot to talk about this week, so I think we'll just keep it reasonably short. Sounds terrible. All right. All right. Yeah. But there, there's, there is a lot to discuss this week. We won't get into all the live golf specifics. There are plenty of takes out there, plenty of podcasts that are discussing all of the players that are coming and going, the future of the PGA Tour, the future of live golf and all that. So if you want to go check it out, go check out those podcasts. But let's discuss the gear side of this because I think that there are some really intriguing secondary storylines beyond just the players that are leaving the tour for live golf. And it starts with the name at the top, Phil Mickelson. So Phil finally announces that he's going to be joining Live Golf. And we get a glimpse of him for the very first time. He's got a five o'clock shadow. He's, you know, still the same old Phil. Lots of takes. But the one thing that I noticed, boys, there were photos of him at the <coughs> tournament in London. He is... Sands Callaway on his golf bag, just has his logo, his 2004, you know, the one jumping up in the air, Phil, barely getting off the ground, maybe, maybe two or three inches. Hey, it's an impressive vertical for some of us. It is, it is, it is very impressive. I, I will give him that. He has the logo on his hat, Callaway gear in the bag, but I, I started to look around and there's no Phil on Callaway's website. Although Kevin Na is there and Kevin Na is playing live, it it does start to make you wonder, and I think this is the question a lot of people had, is is where are the equipment manufacturers on this? Where do they stand on live golf and their players being over there? I don't necessarily I don't we'll find out come the final round and it, when there's a winner announced, you know, how much are they gonna promote it? But we're not seeing Phil with anything. Um, Patrick Reed, another guy who is rumored to be making the jump. He had a PXG deal in place. He jumped ship after five months. He's in a full grindworks bag. He was already using their irons and wedges. We're already seeing some changes in movement here. And it makes me wonder like what, look into your crystal ball. What, what are you thinking the equipment landscape is going to look like a year from now on the live golf tour? And I'd definitely be interested to see kind of how this comes out in the wash. I mean, are we going to see guys starting to go back to, you know, clubs that they've had that were old trustees? Are we going to see more brand agnostic bags? If there's not a, uh, you know, supporting tour staff there, no tour trucks, no you know, on-site reps that are pushing product into players' hands, no equipment contracts, and there's not necessarily a formal agreement in place with some of these OEMs. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see 
the the set compositions that we start to see out on this tour and and we were kind of talking a little bit before we jumped on the pod with what governing body of rules are we going to follow on live golf i mean are we going to see 50 inch drivers out there are we going to see more than 15 clubs more than 14 clubs i mean i'm i'm curious to see where this comes out well if you know, my, my theory is this, and, I, and I've always believed this, you know, and, and it's the dirty little secret in the, uh, in the industry is tour players are a necessary evil for these equipment manufacturers. The, you know, if, if tour players didn't move the needle, they'd be buying their equipment from them. They would not be selling it, or, or it because they're a pain to them in, in, in a lot of regards. And so... I think that this is another pain point, especially in, you know, to take our societal situation right now, corporations now have ethical responsibilities. And so they're looking at this and they're basically trying to see which way the wind blows. But, but if people start tuning in and watching this, all those ethical considerations are going to be minimized and they're going to go blocking back because once again if it moves the needle and it sells golf equipment all is forgiven that's my humble take i think think you make an interesting point about the the tour players because you know as someone who has has come from a a background of of custom clubs much like yourself chris like you know covid night covid like the pandemic sold more golf clubs than the tour because the tour wasn't on right if you think about that right like there was no professional golf being played and OEMs are selling more golf equipment than they can even keep up with at the time. So, like, where does that stand as far as the trickle down effect of like the marketing and like, is it bottom up? Is it top down? Like, where do, where does all this stuff really really come from? Because a lot of times for equipment and and people playing and participation comes from access and time. And you know, we had that in 2020. We had that still in 2021 with people not traveling. We're starting to see golf participation dip a little bit now because people are getting back to their their normal lives in a lot of different ways. But it does ask, like you make a really good point, like Chris as well, is the are the old trustees going to come back out again? Because we've seen it. I'm here at the Canadian Open this this uh, this week. I'm seeing clubs from. We're seeing a, a lot of like players that I would say aren't from the bottom rung, but like players that don't necessarily have equipment that deals. They have bag deals and that kind of thing. And there's a lot of old trustees out here. People don't realize how much tour players really do gravitate towards some of this old stuff. Uh, a lot of people know Daniel Berger uses those tailor-made MCs. Another one, Canadian, all of the Canadian content this week, folks, is uh, David Hearn still uses a set of those things. So it, there's a lot of opportunity for players to go back to these things if they want to. But I have heard uh, rumblings. I will not name a source. But people have said that they might do the F1 style trailer where it just kind of goes around and it's agnostic. But where does that equipment come from? And that really is the end question. I love it. I just, I, I love that it might be different. And I think, I think that's the, like kind of the F1 style. I would love it if maybe at the turn or somewhere along the way you could make some adjustments or modifications, have, have, a, have a pit crew, so to speak, there to help you if you're struggling. <laughs> maybe you could you know, have like a phone, a friend and call your coach or, um, you know, at the turn you, you can go in and make some modifications to your clubs. Uh, you know, that's, that's the thing that is ultimately gonna, gonna determine if live golf thrives or dies is how different is the product compared to the PGA tour. And if it's very similar, then what's the point? I mean, nobody really cares. The people watching don't care if the money, if you're winning, you know, if the guy winning gets 4 million bucks, all they care about is the product. So I I think shotgun starts are interesting. Somebody pointed out on social media to me, how are they going to handle all that on the range? I mean, that's a lot of guys. It's a lot of guys on the range at one time for a shotgun start. How are you going to get everybody on the range there and, and giving them enough space to warm up? I don't know. Uh, golf's Sean Zock is on site, and I am very interested to hear his take on how that goes tomorrow because I think it's going to be a gigantic cluster. But there's again, only, there's only 42 guys. 
Yeah, but there's only 42 guys. Some guys are putting. Some guys are chipping. You know, I mean, it's not a full field. If you think of a full field, yeah, you're 100% right. It's, I mean, that's a train wreck. But, you know, 42 guys, eh, you can work that out, you know, figure that out a little get, bit. Get really friendly on the range and, and all scooch in next to each other. Well, yep. they're all they're they're all multimillionaires now, so I mean, you know, might as well hang out together. <laughs> there was a there's a funny video Justin Thomas posted. I was I was there this morning when it was going on. So he, you know, he's one of those A players, so he gets a nice pro am tea time. And him and Rory were kind of back to back this morning, and JT was pounding balls into the members' net right near the first tee at, at uh, St George's just to like hit some shots because the the range is not uh, on site. I mean, there's the range on the golf course but for the sake of the tournament they actually have it down the road at another golf club that's about three four kilometers away so there's shuttles going back and forth and i guess for his 7 a.m tea time he just decided to count a few balls into the net and head out which i thought was uh, a little old school but kind of fun to see so you know maybe they'll break a net out down in london i love it maybe, maybe they well. will. why not yeah i know but it, more than anything i think that live golf is um it's an interesting science project. It's it's gonna it's either gonna do better than people expected or it's not. It's it's funded by the Saudis. I you know I, I likened it. I said, well, hopefully it doesn't have a similar end as the XFL. But unlike the XFL, the Saudis have a ton of money. So it, again, it's it's ultimately going to be determined by the quality of the product and how many of these guys that are sitting on the sidelines right now on the PGA Tour. How many of them are going to consider the idea of jumping ship if the live golf product is is better than they expected? If the numbers are better, um, again, all that is is so up in the air. They've they've actually going to have they're going to have some tournaments over in the U.S. This first one, as I mentioned, is in London, but a lot more going on just simply beyond the guys that are going to be in the field. There are going to be a lot of gear questions. I posted that on social today. You know, what do you do? If, are you going to have trucks? Are you going to have reps? Are you going to be doing work on gear on off weeks? A lot of questions, very few answers. I've reached out to all the major manufacturers to get their take. Big surprise. Nobody wants to talk. I nobody think wants just to like, talk about just like the tour pros, they're kind of in wait and see mode right now. Well, and you know, my, you know, we were talking off, uh, you know, off camera. My curiosity is, you know, what equipment rules do they follow? Do they follow RNA USGA rules? Do they decide that the golf ball can go further? It needs to go shorter. I'm guessing it's not going to go shorter because they're all about entertainment. And so, you know, can Patrick Reed improve the- his lie? <laughs> just, just give it a bump. It's fine. It's fine. Just, just a little nudge, but, like know, nudge it up there. Do you, do, you, do you get a do you get a Reed bump for every for every round? You know, just it's a little little move of the golf ball. I, they're Maybe. they're free to, they're free to do whatever they want. That's what that's what it happens all the it, time in scrambles, Gene. Yeah, I know. All I know. The I hear time. You. So it's it's that's going to be interesting to watch because you know I I kind of scoured the internet trying to find some information on that, and nobody's even I I think because to be honest, I, I don't even know if they know that you know this was like is it going to come together? Isn't it going to come together? And you know it 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 just shows. Uh, you know, the power of and the persuasion of life-changing money will do to even incredibly elite, well, um, you know, uh, well-compensated athletes will, you know, make a move where it's like, wow, that, that sets my family up for, you know, a couple of ever. generations time ever. Exactly. Yeah. So. Well, Again, tournament starts Thursday. It's 54 holes, not 72. Shotgun start. Going to be on YouTube. I, you know, it's going to be free. That's, that's another, that's another hurdle is, is everybody was asking how much do I have to pay? You don't have to pay anything. Go check it out. It's going to be interesting. That's all I'm going to say. So, all right. So let's go from live golf to I would say a very interesting gear story from last week. So Billy Horschel is your winner at the Memorial. 
and he wins pretty much going away. He he had a little bit of trouble on the back nine, but ends up making an eagle and wins by four shots. But Billy has, I called them a gear unicorn because I'm thinking unicorns, they're out there, but be tough to find. Kind of similar to these title 620 MB irons he has in the bag. So Billy plays a very traditional set of muscle back blades, but his set to, to match up his strike location, spin rate, turf interaction, they had to make some major modifications. They being the Titleist guys in the truck to get these irons to fit his game. And, and something that they did is, and credit to, to RB because he pointed out, I, I couldn't, I went back in my, in my brain. I have a very short term memory, so maybe that doesn't really help, but I tried to go back and think about the, the times that I heard or heard a guy or saw somebody do this and I couldn't. So Billy Horschel to make all these changes happen, they bend his irons a full club week. So we're talking three degrees. Um, plus three, the one-to-one ratio adjusting loft and bounce is one-to-one ratio. So plus three in the bounce department, which, I mean, how often are you hearing tour pros talking about adding bounce to their irons? Typically, that's something we talk about with wedges. But there again, that's why this is different. So Billy makes this change. Everything turns out great. He's had these irons in the bag. Tylus even admitted that this was a little bit of, um, you know, hoping and guessing. And as they made these modifications and they just got lucky and they're using the original set going forward as they make backup sets for him. But let's talk about these irons because surprise, surprise, I've gotten a lot of people asking me, well, hey, Billy Horschel's making modifications beyond two degrees because we've talked about this before with wedges. Probably don't want to adjust the loft more than about plus or minus two degrees. Now they see Billy Horschel, of course, he's in the spotlight right now that he adjusted the three and everybody wants to know, can I do it with my irons? And I've got a couple of smart guys on this pod. So what say you? Chris, do you want to take I that know. first? I'll- I was I was gonna say go for that. that I can take right. it if you don't want it. Doesn't matter to me. Um, yeah, I think for the for players to understand what goes on on with like bounce and strike location, it's it's really important to understand. Like Billy's a pretty steep player. If you look at his equipment history, he's played ping irons in the past. Ping irons are known for having wider soles and a little bit more bounce. They also have a lot more camber to them too. That's what that's what allows them to offer power spec versus the like weak lofted or traditional spec, whatever it is. Um, to you know, and the bounce still kind of relatively it doesn't stay the same, but it, it fluctuates. But because of the camber, it works out okay. So if you think of the ping iron that he's used to using in a higher bounce, that's something where he's getting into the turf very very hard. If you've ever seen Billy hit shots? He needs that bounce to keep that strike location lower on the club face so it's not getting up and kind of hitting floaters. So he's hitting his, it keeps his ball flight stronger. And for someone who's as in tune as Billy, that's what he's able to do. Do you recommend people do it at home? And I, on the opposite side of this, I could tell you a story where we built a, I know as I come from a club building background, I worked in a shop and uh, someone came in, they got, they got fit, they got recommended new golf clubs. They didn't want to get the new clubs, they just wanted to bend their new ones stronger so they hit them further. And we recommended not to do it. We're talking three to four degrees in some golf club. We warned him and warned him and he said, nope. And then we saw him two days later and he's like, everything's digging. And I was like, we told you. (laughs) And so we bent them back and, you know, we never really heard from the guy again. So hopefully that meant it was a good thing, but bounce does play a very important role, whether it be your higher handicap or a, a tour player. And for, for those players, strike location is so important. And that's why I think too, like you see a lot of LPGA tour players, still play shallower uh, or smaller, thinner soles because a lot of them are shallower. So as you get a club with more bounce, you're going to start getting strike location too low. And so there's always this, this give and take when it comes to that and from a fitting side of things. Uh, but from a building side, I wouldn't recommend going home and, and bending your irons three degrees a week. <laughs> you could try, but I wouldn't recommend it. And I would agree with that a hundred percent. I would deter, uh, pretty much anybody from making that gear adjustment the uh the likelihood of the 
majority of irons out there, being able to take that bend and keep that bend also is another factor to consider the, uh, the majority of the clubs out there with the, the casting and the multi-material construction going in, taking three degrees off or adding three degrees aloft onto that iron, not going to be good for, uh, for actually keeping that set intact. Um, there's, there's a few irons out there at true spec that we have on our do not bend list that we don't even try and go more than a degree. So going three degrees, uh, potentially four degrees in some cases, uh, would not recommend doing it. Gene, have you ever done any testing with, with adjusting iron heads? I mean, bending the heads and, and seeing how the numbers check out. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it's funny. I find this conversation fascinating because my, uh, full disclosure, my, uh, weak point in equipment is bounce. Cause I hit everything off of a T and so I'm like dyslexic on balance. You're describing, you know, and it maybe both of you for our listeners can kind of just give a primer and for this goofball right here, just to kind of describe, cause I'm running it through my head, you know? Uh, yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, you make an iron stronger, it goes out hotter. Uh, you make an iron weaker, it goes out higher and shorter. It's just, you know, it's, it's simple physics, but I was fascinated by that. Um, so I, if I understand it correctly, as if, so, for example, uh, Ryan, when you were saying that the guy strengthened his loft by three degrees, you needed more bounce on that to to help cut through. Um, if if you were going to go with that, or say um, do that, and then vice versa, maybe you can kind of give a primer on that because I'm interested in that because you know, as I said, hitting everything off of a tee. I just don't immerse myself in that world, but that is so critical from a fitting standpoint. And that's, you know, from a directional standpoint, uh, you know, it has so many aspects. So maybe you guys can, you know, fill in a little bit of the blanks on that as to what's occurring. I think the best way to, to think of optimizing bounce is thinking of skipping a stone. It is one of the easiest ways because almost everyone has found a flat stone and tried to skip it across water. If you are, if you have not enough balance, it's like throwing the stone too steep into the water. It's just going to splash. It's just going to go in. And if you don't have enough balance on your irons or wedges or whatever club it happens to be, it's going to get into the ground and it's going to reduce energy transfer. And it's going to put a very, very small, it's going to give you a very, very small margin of error for where the club can enter the turf. And if you do hit the ball first, great. If you don't, you're going to lose a ton of ball speed. The ball is going to shoot up the face because it's digging. The club is digging into the turf and you're going to miss the shot. You're going to hit a bad shot. Mm -hmm. The optimal bounce is when it kind of hits and skips across the water. It's when you've, you've thrown that stone at just the right angle. It's coming in and it hits the water and it skips and, and you feel like everything's working. Not only that, it skips and skips and skips and skips depending on how fast you throw it, obviously. And bounces that same way with a wedge. Like you feel good contact. It hits in the right spot on the club face, which is the bottom, say, say second to fifth groove on a, on a wedge or on an iron. And then the other way around is... So that's optimal. And then again, suboptimal with too much bounce is if you throw that stone way too much, too, too high and that angle hits and you see the back of the stone hit rather than the spot where it's going to bounce the most. And it's either going to shoot really high and which means in theory with bounce, it's going to hit low on the club face and you're going to hit shots that are really low. That's why you see low bounce during the, uh, the open championship. The turf conditions are very firm. And then not only is it going to skip like that, like that, but, you're you're not going to have it really get into the ground either. So again, you're you're losing turf interaction there, and you're going to see the ball go too low, and it's not going to feel good either. So you got you got to get everything just right when it comes to bounce to get the the impact location on the club face in the right vertical. We all talk about horizontal MOI, club face and uh, horizontal like vertical MOI on the club face is very important for maximizing energy transfer and people don't really think about that. They just think, Oh, heel toe MOI, like a putter. That's fine. But when an iron, if you go a couple of grooves high, you're coming up short. 
No, and it's it's really interesting. I can speak to that. There's some really interesting dynamics on vertical MOI, and it's a it's a function of loft angle. Uh, sometimes loft doesn't necessarily a launch angle doesn't necessarily increase as we go up the face, which gets weird. Uh, spin doesn't necessarily decrease. We see all of these different kind of uh, counterintuitive effects, whereas. With a driver MOI, you go up the face, you increase launch, you decrease spin, hands down, 100%. Same thing, opposite. So that's that's really interesting. And it got me thinking about, as you said, bounce, because now you've got a vertical component that you're adding, uh, you know, kind of an earlier piece of that equipment to the ground interaction, which is going to affect strike point, as you said, and that is going to have an effect, obviously, on how the golf ball leaves and what its you know spin rate is. Chris, one of the questions I have for you because I'm always curious about how it, or how other fitters do it is at true kick. I know there's outdoor locations, but most are indoor studio locations. It's still very easy to fit for that, isn't it? Like I think a lot of golfers think oh, I can't do it inside, but it's it is possible, correct? Like either by the turf that you're using or looking at that strike location. <laughs> It is possible. Yeah. I mean, ideally you would prefer to fit wedges specifically outdoors, uh, just to see a variety of different shots. Yeah. Players release pattern as they come through the turf, how it is that they're using those wedges to hit those specialty shots where bounce becomes you know, a little bit more important than a full shot. So whether they're playing bunker shots or whether they camber it back or camber it forward, the amount of leverage that they apply to the shaft and how much lean they have, uh, but yeah, you can do it indoors for sure. And using an optic system like Foresight does give us an opportunity to see exactly what it is that's going on with the golf club as it comes through impact. So it takes a little bit of the guesswork out of it when you have to use a, a Doppler-based system. So having the advantage of an optic system does help with strike location on the face and precise strike location rather than just more or less like a heat signature like you would give with a Doppler. So you can kind of tinker with uh, shaft in the sense of weight and kind of fine tuning droop and deflection, and then also strike location with lie angle and bounce of the sole. Cool, thanks. <laughs> Here we go. We're just helping each other out, but no, I, I think as Gene mentioned, I think it's important to to establish what is bounce and and how it can benefit golfers and what happens when you're making these manipulations because I do worry sometimes when I write these stories how many how many golfers are reading this and wondering what the heck is going on with Billy Horschel's irons because they may not understand the the ratio of loft to bounce and, and how that might benefit them or how that might hurt them. But bottom line, as you guys already said, don't go out and do this. RB already has a horror story and the guy ended up having to bring the irons back in and get them rebent back to the original loft. So don't do it yourself. Get a certified club fitter involved and go from there. But yeah, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it can get messy it can get messy with wedges and get messy with irons. So anyway, it can get really messy. Jay wall. I got to say, uh, yeah. before we jump off of that topic, got to keep in mind in the brand agnostic world, there is no such thing as standard when it comes to how to measure bounce. Thank you. How, thank you. How the yep. industry measures bounce. <laughs> and there's no such yeah. thing as a standard. Exactly right. Off. The so further complicate things. Hey, hey, stop giving yeah. away our secrets. Knock that off. Hey, knock oh, that no, off. It's just, I'm, I'm always going to default to the go get fit. If, if you, there, if you have a question in your mind about, is this gear right for me? Is it doing what it's supposed to do? And see a golf professional, see a professional fitter. Now, trying to go down the rabbit hole and self-diagnose is more often than not just a frustrating train wreck. And it, just spend the time, spend the money, come see one of us. We're more than happy to help you. This is what we do. Yep. There we go. There, there, there's, there's your way to go about not getting frustrated. Just go to TrueSpec. If you don't have a true spec nearby, find find a, a reputable local club fitter, somebody that can that can help you out and get you going your way. All right. Before we get to the next topic on this week's pod, I want to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Golf Pride. 
and their new CPX grip. You've heard us talk about the CPX before. What separates this grip from a lot of the others out in the industry is its exo-diamond quilted pattern. If you've ridden BMX bikes before, you might notice that this pattern is very similar. It's gonna help reduce unwanted vibrations that are gonna be going up your hands. So if you're playing on days where it's really cold, you wanna play more golf, but you just feel fatigued after 18 holes, this grip, the new pattern on this grip is actually gonna help reduce some of those unwanted vibrations. So if you wanna go check it out for more information, you can go to golfpride.com or check it out at your local retailer. All right, RB, you made it out on tour, man. You went to the Canadian Open. You're actually there right now as we're recording the pod on a Wednesday. You are on site at the Canadian Open. Want to know what has caught your eye this week? Know there are a couple of trends, maybe some things that we might see next week in Boston? Question mark? Yeah. Um, for so for those who aren't aware, like St. George's Golf Club hosted here in 2010 as well. And it's an older, old school golf course, a lot of ups and downs. And although I've never been to Brookline, uh, I've heard a lot of similarities. It's, it is tree lined. There's the roughs pretty thick. I mean, their pros aren't really generally going to struggle too, too much in, like in general. Uh, but what I have seen this week is, well, one of the interesting things, there's no tour trucks, right? So a lot of, uh, that's something that I you know I wrote about for the, for the site on golf.com. It's, it's always been this unique scenario here in Canada. Like I, again, I've worked in club building shops that had been close to Canadian opens before, uh, big box retailers that have been down the street from Canadian opens before and pros just walk in with their clubs and they say, can I get this regripped? And you know, it's, it's fine now as a, as a adult who's done this for a long time, but when you're an 18 year old kid and someone hands you something, you're like, uh, am I really going to regrip David Duvall's putter or whatever it was at the time? So that's always kind of like a nerve wracking experience, but we have seen some, some cool things. Um, more Canadian content. Mackenzie Hughes went from a nine degree driver to a 10 and a half degree driver, looking for more spin for more carry. Important thing to, for those golf, like people look at, you know, if you're not seeing, if you're, even if you're a lower swing speed player, obviously max on the higher level, but if you're a lower swing speed player and you're not getting the carry out of your drive, it could be a spin issue where you actually don't have enough to get it and keep it up in the air and, and really help stabilize the ball flight. Some extra wedges, you've kind of seen them dot players bags with like marked for next week or things like that, which I think is kind of cool just so they have them. Either they were brought from the week before, or they've been shipped here to the course. A lot of the local reps are kind of helping out and triaging a lot of the pros that are here. We've seen a, a limited edition spider head cover from, from TaylorMade, uh, which has a very similar look to a, uh, like a, I want to say the Canada cup hockey jerseys. A lot of people may or may not be familiar with the famous, like I think is 87 jerseys. So it kind of looks like that. Uh, but overall, there's not a huge amount of gear topics. The one thing is the high loft at Fairy Woods. And that, I think, is going to be the one heading into next week, which I'm excited to see. I saw it a few weeks ago. DJ had a, put a nine wood into play. These guys are looking for angle of descent. It's a, it's a key parameter of fitting. It's a key parameter for a, whether it be a Fairy Wood that you're hitting into greens or a, an eight iron or a nine iron or a mid iron. It's one thing to hit a green, but it's another thing to stop it. And a lot of people, no, I don't care if you walk up to me and say, man, I hit my seven iron 190 yards. Like, yeah, but it rolls to 230, so it's useless. Like it doesn't, it has no factor in your scoring then because if you're hitting something in with there's water behind the green, you're going to hit a bad shot. These guys, if you ever go out and see the professionals play, which I encourage if anyone's close to a tour event or an LPGA tour event, whatever it happens to be, watch where the ball stops relative to the flight. It's almost always pin high and it's an impressive, impressive thing to watch. They do not miss long or short very often. And that is a an element of controlling distance and also controlling that land angle. So when it stops, it stops close to their target. And I think we're going to see some more nine woods as we get towards Brookline because they're easier to get out of the rough. Yes. And it's just going to be something to pay attention to. I think it was ne Neiman had one as well, where they, 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 they played it like an inch and a half short so he can get really steep into it, but it still gets through the turf and it has all the elements of being able to hit these shots because as a, as a wise fitter once told me, it's always easier to make up, come down than it is to make down, go up you're fighting gravity and you're fighting a lot of things so you know if you can hit the ball high it's easier to make that club go low lower if you have a club that's designed to go low good luck getting it up in the air it's not going to happen love that i love it high loft at fairway woods let's go i i love it all the nine woods i all, all the nine woods i can get I'm, I'm taking i'm taking all those stories next week in boston okay if we're going over under 
going over under seven and a half nine woods in the field next week. Would you take the over or the under? I'm taking under. Yeah, I think the uh, I think the ego is still going to be there for a lot of guys. I'm I'm taking under. I'm taking over. Why not? Hey, what's this? Oh, for? Is this for? Is this let's go over. Let's go. Let's go. Ten, ten, twelve. Just, 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 just real quick. Is this for that speaker that I'm? Uh, you know, <laughs> that you got in that uh, that back uh, that back closet. I'm just. I just want to see what the prize is before you know. I uh, I, I commit. Maybe it's just. Maybe it's a speaker. This is the. We're not going to debate music on the golf course now, are we? This is the bit that's never going to die. Oh no! Oh Uh, no! Thankfully, RB missed this, so he he wasn't here for all the all the portable speaker talk. He's probably the lucky one. But yeah, this is this is is the bit that he would have gotten a speaker though. He would have gotten one. What I want to know was what what I want to know. RB, did they try and put you to work well this played, week? McCormick, well played. Uh, I I kind of joked with uh, some people <laughs> that I was going to get asked to, to build some golf clubs. Um, I know one of the guys from TaylorMade who I know from TaylorMade Canada, and just because I know like the crew that's here, they have a head office here like a lot of OEMs do, and they're in the GTA, so there's a lot of them out here. Uh, they were like, uh, do you know where there's any cord grips because you want to grip some golf clubs, you want to do it? And I was like, I don't want to. Uh, but the one story I do have is relating to Max Driver or Mackenzie Hughes is, uh, so I am, I'm pretty good friends with one of his friends from like going back to like high school. Like we're talking wedding party, good, grew up playing golf friends. And so he also happens to work at Ping, which works out well for them. Uh, but he messaged me on, I think it was Monday night and he said, uh, the rep's going to be here. We got a new driver head for Mac, but Mac really likes the, the acoustics tuned. Do you have a hot milk gun? And I was like, I do. But it's, it's not one that you're going to want to use for a driver on the PGA Tour. It's more of like uh, it's more of the cartridge style one that's very much more inexpensive because I do it so uh, very so uh, not very often. Sorry. Uh, so I, I put them in contact with a shop in the GTA who had the same Champ like Pro, whatever it is, the big yellow one you see on all the trucks. And lo and behold, I talked to him on Tuesday. I said, "Did you get out talk to the rep on Tuesday?" And I said, uh, "Did you get to the, the shop and get the?" The hotmail put in. He's like, "Yeah, they were great. I, I talked to the the crew there. They were awesome. It was in and out in five minutes, and you know, gave me some hats, and we were all set to go." So, um, it is because there is no, are no equipment fans. There's always this like this funny element of what's going on here, and I know it's there's not a lot of tournaments like this. I think uh, we've discussed in the past, Jonathan, like Hawaii's like this. They have it in the pro shop. I have some friends who work in the club building business in Indonesia, and they service tour events over there sometimes, and they have pros come in all the like they'll basically set up on a range with a portable table, make sure that the table's weighted down. Someone sits on the table. If they got it, they'll grip golf clubs. there using this like makeshift stand and uh, the portable light loft machine, which just sits on the ground and someone stands on it and bends golf clubs. You know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. It's not, it's not rocket science. It doesn't have to be done in a $4 million equipment van. Sometimes I mean, it does help when you got all the tools. Uh, it just takes a little longer once in a while and, and or you might have to drive just somewhere to get it done. But uh, it is, it's it's not it doesn't happen very often. It brings back to the point of the lifting. Like where are these guys going to get their club serviced? Um, but uh, here this week they'll be they'll be tuned up for the U.S. Open next week. That's uh, something I'm really not worried about for them. Yeah, that's. Uh, I always think about how the other half lives. If you aren't on the PGA Tour, it it's it's sobering when you go to even like the Corn Ferry. Or the LPGA, I think, is is just was an eye opener the very first time I went out there. They have a a single truck, and that truck houses all the reps. And that when I say all the reps, I mean Callaway has a rep, PXG has a rep, Titleist has a rep, but they only service for ball, shoe, glove, umbrellas, soft goods side. And then you've got an LPGA tech who is the guy and he handles all different models. I remember I did a story on him a couple of years ago, Paul Bamer, and he has a binder that had all the different specs and now he's got them up in his noggin. But again, he told me stories about going to uh, the Symmetra tour and 
he'd spend an entire day regripping golf clubs. So yeah, the PGA tour is cool because there are tons of, of fun storylines when it comes to gear and guys having unlimited supply of driver shafts. And, and although, you know, supply chain issues right now are making it a little bit interesting, but for the most part, we're not in you know an area where we've got supply chain issues. They have access to anything and everything and it's never a problem, but go outside the PGA tour and it's a headache. I mean, you break a golf club, you got to get creative. When we had Harry Higgs on the pod, um, I guess it was last, yeah, last year. And he told a story about when he was playing corn Ferry and he was playing, or maybe, he, maybe it wasn't, I think maybe it was Latino America and he was playing. He broke a, broke a club, not out of anger. And he ended up just having like another club from a different set. And he played the pretty much the rest of the season with it and ended up keeping his, you know, getting his, getting the bump up. So it's just crazy. I'm sure there are lots of stories like that. If you were to, if you were to really start digging into the the mini tours, just guys having to get creative when it comes to their gear. Anyway. All right. Speaking of gear, before we get into our next topic, I want to let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by our friends at Global Golf. And they're all about you campaign, which consists of a three-pronged approach. It's the you try, you trade in, and you select. The you try lets you try brand new clubs and tech for two weeks, where when you want to keep trying it, keep it. If you don't, send it back. The you trade in provides the easiest way to help you get what's next for less, offering the best value for your gear, where you receive credit towards a new purchase and the you select is personalized recommendations from PGA professionals to help you find the best gear for your game. If you want to learn more about Global Golf's All About You campaign, go check it out on globalgolf.com. All right. I think this one's kind of fun since this is, again, we're, we're kind of getting into the nitty gritty of gear. So sports marketing surveys, for those that don't know, is the Daryl surveys on the DP World Tour. Now, Maybe you don't know what Daryl survey is, so I should probably just start there. So every week on the PGA Tour, if you were going to be out at a tournament and go and look at the practice putting green on a Thursday morning, you'll see somebody there who's milling through the bags with a clipboard, marking stuff down. What they're doing is they are going through each Tour Pro's bag and marking down the model of club head, shaft, grip, golf ball, you name it, range finder that they have in the bag, although you can't use one, what range finder is being used during practice rounds. And all this information is then used when the manufacturers want to say, hey, we were the number one driver on the PGA Tour last week. They're using Daryl Survey's numbers to make that claim. So that's what SMS does over in Europe. Well, they provided some pretty interesting stats from last week's Porsche European Open. And I just wanted to point these out because, you know, we constantly talk about all of the the changes that players are making every week, but we don't really look at the numbers as a whole. How many guys are using, and this is just stuff that I constantly get, how many guys are using 10 degree driver heads? Or how many guys are using um, two fairway woods? How many have a utility iron in the bag? And most weeks I'm I'm like, I, I don't know. I, I don't get access to Daryl survey. Nobody on the edit side gets access to Daryl survey. It's, it's just for the manufacturers. But thankfully, SMS provided some insights. So I want to run down these and you tell me if anything stands out to you. So of the players in the field at the Porsche European Open, one, they had 1.45 fairway woods per player, which tells you that on average... Everybody in the everybody in the field has at least one fairway wood. No surprise there, but it's not two, which is what I think a lot of golfers just think that the tour pros are driver three wood, five wood down into the long iron. So it's not exactly what we think. There were 0.68 hybrids or utility irons per player in the field, which means that you know more than half of the guys in the field have at least one hybrid or utility iron. 72% of the players didn't have a three iron. Now that's not surprising or it shouldn't be. 
And this is something that I think that recreational golfers can learn from is, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast. You don't need a traditional three iron in the bag. Heck, you don't even need a game improvement three iron because hybrids and utility irons give you that versatility, give you that forgiveness, the high launch. So you don't need a three. 10% of the players didn't have a three or a four iron. Kind of interesting. So now we're seeing that guys are, are maybe even removing their four iron at times and going with a high lofted. Although most, it seemed, that kind of seems to be the cutoff point, like a, a fine cutoff. Four irons for most guys, it's a pretty common club, but three iron, that's sort of when they start to get, you know, into the testing phase of maybe I add a utility iron, maybe I add a hybrid, um, maybe it's a fairway wood. Um, 71% of the players, this was the one that was the most interesting for me, 71% of the guys had at least four wedges in the bag. So 71% of the guys are not Tiger Woods. No surprise there. And two guys had five wedges in the bag. I think those are kind of cool stats. And, and I think more than anything, it just gives you a peek. And again, it's a small snapshot because it's one tour event. But it gives you a peek at what's trending in pro golf. And you don't necessarily need to build your bag setup around what the pros are using. But it gives you a good idea of, you know, a lot of pros are using hybrids and utility irons. And maybe if you still have that traditional three iron in the bag, you should maybe consider kicking it out of the bag. What stands out to you when I read off these numbers? Pros make their money on wedges? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> shocker, right? Big shocker. is not an issue. It's, uh, it's loaded up with scoring clubs. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's, and that, and I think that's the, uh, you know, I'll throw it over to you two, you know, cause that's your bread and butter, but I, I, that is the greatest kind of weak spot of most golfers is they think it's all about distance, but the reality is, and kind of going back to the, you know, the bounce seminar that you guys, uh, provided, it's all about getting the right gapping with your wedges. And, and, you know, people just don't think enough about that. You know, most golfers just think, well, I want to try to hit the green or be close. And these guys want to be within 20 feet. And once you get properly gapped wedges, it allows you when you put a good swing on the ball to get within 20 feet, you know, it gives you that opportunity. And without that, you're hitting the green and you're hitting the green. You're looking, you're going from a birdie opportunity to a par or more likely a bogey. And that, that seems to be a massive difference just from an equipment understanding standpoint of what tour players do that has applicability to uh, amateur golfers. Yeah. I think the, uh, the wedge thing is, is really interesting because it, uh, to your point, Gene, it, it just basically demonstrates like when these guys hit it so far, they have the opportunity to like make sure that they are going to capitalize on these scoring opportunities, whether it be on a short par four or on a par five where they have to lay out. They, I don't think they lay up on too many par fives anymore on the tour, but it's the idea of what those recovery shots are worth from a strokes gain perspective. And I think that's um, quite interesting because you, you, you want to be able to know and have the confidence. And this is this goes for tour players. It goes for uh, high handicap golfers. You want to know that you have the confidence of pulling a golf club out of your bag and it's going to go hopefully a particular distance. And if you can simplify that by hopefully being able to make the same swing and have it seeing a different result by choosing a different loft, that to me is the easiest way to simplify for most players. Uh, speaking to the three iron point, I always thought it was funny when Mizuno came out with the, I think it was the 919 JPX. And they stopped doing a three iron in that, in the tour version or the, yeah, the, the, the smaller cavity one. And people are like, where's the three iron? And they said, well, you know, we don't make a single three iron for anyone on tour. <laughs> so if, you know, if you're a recreational golfer and you want a three iron, you know, you should probably look at something else. <laughs> and, you know, it, yep. it's sometimes some players get really hard and get stuck on like a number in their bag or something. But I think the loft and, and making sure that you just, it doesn't matter what the lofts are. If you're hitting the distances that you want, just make sure you have all those golf clubs in your bag and you're going to score better. It's really that simple. I agree a hundred percent with that. That's uh, I mean, set composition is something that is very unique to the individual and also the objectives and skill level of that individual. So, I mean, if we're looking at uh, that report uh, and seeing that the three iron and the four iron are, uh, 
are kind of trending out of the bag. Uh, I mean, my personal set composition, I got rid of the, the three and the four iron years ago, the five irons, the longest iron that I carry in the bag. I carry four wedges and I look at it from a simplicity standpoint of proximity clubs versus scoring clubs. You know, if I'm outside of 160, 170 yards, the likelihood that I'm going to go and try attacking a pin, probably not very good. I'm looking at let's hit it in the center of the green and rely on putting. So for the players that tell me, oh, you know, I've got this gap at, at 220, I'm going, yeah, you're, you're trying to trying to knock pens down at 220, 225. <laughs> that's, that's impressive. Like what, what's your, uh, what's your index? You play it at 12. Oh, okay. And, and we're, we're knocking pins down at two and a quarter. Got it. So the, uh, is that your that, inside voice? <laughs> my inside voice? I don't have an inside voice, Gene. There's, there's no such thing as an inside voice. It's, uh, it's just a, a direct voice. And when it comes to uh, realizing uh, I mean, actual skill level, it, uh, it needs to come down to what's going to give me the best opportunity to score. And those, uh, those scoring clubs are a lot more important than they, as I call them, proximity clubs that are just there for distance and recovery. I think if, if someone has something like uh, like Arcos or any type of like game tracking system, I know I've been I've been a user of that for a long time. I look at the clubs that I actually hit on the golf course, and it's fascinating to me. Sometimes, and I do carry a five wood, but I don't use it that often. Like there are very few times I'm pulling that golf club out to be like, do I really need to hit this shot? Like a particular yardage, maybe I'll just hit three wood and, and get it over the green or get it close to like a certain area, and because there's really not that opportunity for a lot of players, they're not going to chart that information. They don't, they're not going to look at that stuff. You need to realize where your strokes are at. And once you that's, it's the same with like playing a premium golf ball. Like if you're playing a two piece Sterling golf ball, that's not going to spin and you hit, you know, let's say 30% of your swings or whatever, just take out putting, but 30% of your shots inside a hundred yards, you're not stopping anything. Like you're just not. And, so you have to look at, to your point, and I really I like that idea. I like the idea of the scoring versus the proximity clubs. I think I, I unofficially think of it that way, which I, I like that labeling, because I don't think a lot of golf, every golfer just thinks everyone goes to the pin. No one, you can be out here and watch the pros. They just, they don't always, like, they don't not always going for the pin. They're in the middle of the green and putting out to corners. That's what they do in a lot of these places. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good lesson for those at home to take in, you know, next time you go to the golf course, just don't, don't try and knock down pins at 220. <laughs> anybody's trying to knock down pins from 220 yeah that's <laughs> have that conversation every day Wall. well i would say they better have a tour card if they're talking about knocking down pins from 220 that's what so, i'm saying yeah yeah that's that's about the only one who should be doing that all right well we do have a gear question for this week and it's based off so so ryan did a great three kind of three things you should know about Minji Lee's setup that she used to win the U S women's open. And we got a question that wants to know about one club in particular in her bag. And the question is like, say if I could find it was, so they were reading the what's in the bag and noticed that Minji uses a Diamana DF regular flex in her driver. So ball speeds between 147 to 150 miles an hour. Should I be surprised she's in an R flex? You want me to take that? I mean, kind of. I mean, you wrote the, you wrote the I story. Why not? It's uh, the famous line when it comes to fitting a golf shaft is it's not it's not what the speed is, it's how the speed's created. And you know, a shush, a, a big. GMC Denali can get to hundred miles an hour. It just takes a long time to get there uh, versus a, an F1 car or a motorcycle or whatever it happens to be. And think of golf swings like that. They're, they both have very different engines. They weigh different, but like they're going to get to that same speed. The golf swing is kind of the same thing. Tempo is going to dictate be a, because shaft acts like a timing device. The, uh, sh- uh, the way the shaft works is it's going to not the shaft doesn't react, but like it has to work for your timing. It has to work for your tempo. And sure, you know what? I'm, I bet you, you could give that same shaft to Ernie Els and he'd probably hit it pretty good. But you're not going to give it to Sam Burns or Billy Horschel. <laughs> Billy Horschel is going to hit the thing all over the map uh, because 
obviously speed's different, but tempo plays such a huge role in shaft fitting. And not only that, just like bounce, there's no there's no exact uh, category for everything in the industry. There's no standard. So that shaft maybe tipped a little bit more, might play a little stiffer than something else, could play softer than something else. It, it just comes down to what works for that individual. And through her bag, we see that. We see our flex into her woods and then her irons go to stiff. It's all about how that golf club works and how that shaft works for the swing that's going to be put on it. And for a lot of players with a driver shaft, you can go softer or little st um, softer or stiffer based on how you hit that golf club and attack that golf club because it is such a unique swing that you're going to put on it. Yeah. Kind of similar to what we were talking about with bounce where there's no stock bounce for every manufacturer. Very similar when it comes to the shafts. You can't just look at a shaft and say, well, you know, that, that shaft seems like it would be too, too whippy for their game. As, as you mentioned, RB, it, it really depends on what you're trying to do, your, your tempo, um, efficiencies. I mean, that's at that level, you're all about trying to find the gear that's going to optimize for whatever club head they've got. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's where you're going to be able to squeeze those extra yards out of a driver. So, yeah, I think it just goes back well, to, did, don't you think she probably got fit? Well, <laughs> I don't and, think and, she was just kind of slapping that driver shaft in there. And, and to make your head hurt a little bit more to really muddle, muddy the waters, you know, Bryson plays with something that's closer to an R flex as well. And he's got, you know, 200 miles an hour of ball speed. So it's, uh, it, 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 I think the rule of thumb is, and we've done a lot of what we call angular velocity testing, which, you know, to, to, Ryan's point, basically we, with the robot, we're able to change acceleration patterns and get the exact same club head speed. And without a doubt, uh, the faster, earlier we load the club, the more the club lags coming into impact. So if you have a more flexible shaft, it hits the ball to the right, a stiffer shaft, it will hit the ball straighter. But what's interesting is, uh, if you can handle it and your hand-eye coordination is good enough, you can have a fairly high tempo or a high velocity and be able to time it, but you've got to be really good to do that. And I would not recommend that for, you know, the typical amateur golfer. You know, the bottom line is if you jerk or fast, you're going to need usually a little bit of a stiffer implement. And if you're smoother, you can get away with a more flexible implement, you know, as far as delivering that club head coming into impact. There you go. All right. Well, I think that just about does it. I, I tease this over on social media. So if you're listening to the podcast, then maybe you're going to get a chance to win this guy. So Vokey just came out with their new Wedgeworks T-Grind. This is the lob wedge grind that you see. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Cameron Young, a bunch of high-level tour pros using it's great for firm conditions. So major championship golf. I actually learned that this is a very popular grind on the uh, over in Europe, and rightfully so. A lot, lot more link style conditions over there. Um, you'd be a pretty good golfer, I will say, to use this. This thing has four degrees of bounce, very low bounce. So if oh. you're you're good at if you're good at manipulating the the lob wedge and you can nip it, it's a great wedge. But I got one of these from the good folks at Titleist, and it is, surprise, surprise, it's a righty. No lefty love for this guy. So why don't we give it away? But I did say that, and I'm going to post this on social, you got to listen to the pod, and you got to mention, and we're gonna, I'm going to ask the crew here, which is your favorite Vokey Wedge? There's a lot of them out there. Which is your favorite? And then you got to message me on social media. You can do it through the fully equipped account at fully underscore equipped, or we'll do my personal handle at Jonathan R wall. And you got to tell me which is the wedge that the three of us picked. So we'll start with Chris, go to RB and finish with Gene favorite Vokey wedge. Go. Are we talking series or are we talking series Brian? series series series? Okay. Um, I am currently in the SM nine 
And I have found that the D grind on my 58 degree wedge is extremely versatile. And I've had a really, really good amount of success with that, uh, with that D grind in the SM9. Chris, big fan of the D. Good to know. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm, I like the, F, uh, the new, uh, SM nines. I've, I've really enjoyed using them. I'm using them now. Uh, got some nice raw, nice raw custom ones. I thought were really cool. Uh, did my own stamping on them, which is fun. Um, but for me, the, the club that I actually really like, and you know, most people would say like gravitate towards a lob wedge or a sandwich or something like that. The 50 F grind. I love it because years ago I, I stopped being, I'm no hero. I'm not a, I'm not a pro golfer. I, I started chipping more with my 50 around the green. I said, I want to get on the greens. I want to get it rolling. And I switched to just the technique of chipping more with a uh, less shaft lean in a 50. And I like the 50 F and I just find it, it doesn't dig, but you can kind of manipulate it. And that F sole for me works really well. So if I had to pick a golf club, it's going to be my lot or my gap wedge, sorry. And it's my 50 degree F SM nine. So yeah. the one that I played, the one that I played around with is, uh, is the SM eight. And, um, I, you know, it, it, it really worked for me and I am kind of in Ryan's camp on the F grind. I, uh, I like that a little bit. And, um, you know, once again, it's, uh, it, it's, 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 it's really I got, this is almost embarrassing. I'm probably going to get kicked off the pod for this, but oh well, I'll, we'll, we'll do a full disclosure. It would take a lot for I, you to get kicked off the pod, Gene. <laughs> you guys are going to think much less of me because of this. I got. I don't know if that's the- possible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, McCormick, you're on fire today. Um, so uh, I got fit for the first time in my life two months ago. I've never been fit before. Wait, Mr. Robot <laughs> just got fit. Oh so, boy. This is definitely something you should have kept to yourself. Gene continue. Yeah, I, see, I told you, I told you, but it was a semi enlightening experience, not terribly enlightening. I mean, you know, it, 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 uh, the guy didn't know who I was at the beginning of the fitting. And, you know, so he's going through and I'm not going to name the company, but all of a sudden the vice president of research and development shows up and the uh, head designer shows up and the head of sales. And they're like, you getting taken care of. Okay. And all of a sudden this guy's like, who is this clown that I'm fitting? But, uh, uh, it was, it was really interesting just getting the retail perspective on, uh, you know, cause I was, you know, it was a six iron, whatever. Uh, I had a hybrid, I, I got a full set of hybrid and, and wedges, but I was really fascinated by the wedges and the grinds and asking, you know, from a, from a, you know, kind of a retail perspective, what, you know, what their philosophy was. So. Anyways, yeah. Now, uh, now I have a properly gapped set of wedges, which I'm really excited about. Amazing. <laughs> I'm still trying to process this that you just got fit for the first time. This is this is a this is a gear podcast. You run you run a golf club robot. Hey man! You just hey man! Got fit. Hey man! Hey man, the cobbler's children have no shoes. I'm like, hey, that looks good. I'll put that in my bag. Oh, that tested well. I'll put that in my bag. Yeah, I think I like that. I mean, I have, I, I have, I have a an embarrassment of riches of equipment, and you know, a lot of it's you know developmental, etc. And so I'm always just kind of tinkering. But I thought, you know, maybe I need a little bit more uniformity in my bag, and maybe I actually need to get my act together. And so I went and got fit. And, uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was an interesting experience. Amazing. I leave you speechless. That's a good way to end the podcast. <laughs> you, you, you definitely leave me speechless. I don't even know where, where to go. From. What, were we, what were we talking about? Gene's uh, uh, lost problem. Give, we were trying to give away your wedge. <laughs> yeah. Trying to give away this, this wedge. I don't even care about that anymore. I just want to talk about Gene's fitting.
Uh, all right. Well, if I was going to pick one of the Vokies, I'm going to go with SM5. In particular, the raw version. It was the very first year that Voki offered the raw at retail. And I am one of those guys, one of those guys who gets really excited about raw wedges. Even though we've done testing and found out there's really no difference between plated Sucker. and raw. I know. But it still looks cool in my bag and it makes me feel like I'm a tour pro when I'm shanking it clear across the green. But yeah, SM5, in particular the raw version, always loved that wedge. That was right before they started going to the visible uh, CG technology in the back of the head. So I, I still really enjoyed kind of the more traditional look of that one. Although I do have SM7 in the bag right now that has the visible technology. So um, figure that one out. Anyway, all right. If you want to win the wedges again, go on social, message us, let us know which ones we said were our favorites. I'll randomly pick one of you to win this 60 degree T with a S200 dynamic gold shaft. All right. Well, before we wrap up this fun field episode of Fully Equipped, we have a golf clubhouse experience. It's going to be the last one of the major season coming up in Boston. You want to go check it out. It's going to be at the Barrymore Newton, which I am told is a 10-minute drive from the country club, which is where they're going to be playing the U.S. Open. It's going to be June 14th and 15th from 4 to 10 p.m. It's a two-day event. It's going to have all of your favorite golf.com faces, Dylan DeChair, yours truly. RB is going to be there, throwing them to the wolves that week. So we're going to be doing fully equipped live from the Bearmore Newton. Dylan's going to be hosting Drop Zone. Colton Drew are going to be there for subpar off, the, off course with Claude Harmon, also going to be going on. Those are all going to be live shows. We're going to be doing a club test live as well. If you want to check that out, lots of fun stuff. $2,500 in prizes. You're going to be able to potentially win, if you're there, a TaylorMade self-driver, your supply of TaylorMade TP5, TP5X Picks golf balls, TaylorMade MG3 wedges. There's also a, <laughs> do I even bring this up? There's going to be the chance to win a rock form speaker. Oh, you're yes. just cruel. There we you're go. Just cruel. There we you're go. Just cruel. You, didn't, you didn't have to do that. $500 there it is. Radmore gift card. But yeah, all we care about is the speaker. Anyway, if you want to go check That's it out, it. I will Chris, buy you he really beer. does. He really does have a sick streak, doesn't he? You know, because he do. goes on and on. Is this bit done? Are we done with this bit? Can we stop talking about this bit? And then he's just got, you know, right when that scab's about to heal, let's just rip it right off again. By we'll the way, we're there, giving too. away a speaker. That's how we do. That's what we do that around here. Anyway. Have- that wasn't the one that was allocated for Gene, was it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that was the one was going to give me. Just found it in the equipment locker, sitting around. Where did this come from? I may as well give it away as a promo. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's just throw that on top. Love that idea. All right. So, again, June 14th and 15th at the Bearmore Newton. Just 10 minutes from the country club. If you show up, say hello. I will buy you beer. I promise you that. Anyway, all right. Well, that will do it for this week's episode of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want that gear goodness, check us out on social media. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Hey, before we go, condolences, Gene, on the loss of your mom. I know that's a Thank you guys. tough situation. But it's good to have you back in the saddle. It's good to have everybody back on the podcast this week. Hope you all enjoyed the cast of characters, the big four. Thanks as always for listening. See you next week.